Thank you, Pastor Ron. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Welcome, everybody. Hope you're having a good Wednesday night. Everybody ready for our, our midweek fuel up tonight? Come on, somebody. That's so awesome. Well, hey, I, I just had such a great time on Sunday. Did you guys enjoy Dr. Kayton? That was awesome, right? Man, I always, it's such a treat when he's here. You know, obviously many of you know him. If you don't know him, he's my grandfather. He's the father of this house. And man, he, it's just such an honor to have him and Pastor Tina back. It's great. But um, I'm really pumped up about tonight. I'm, re- I'm excited to share this message with you. You might not be as excited to hear it as I am to share it, but that's okay because how many know that sometimes when you come to church, you know, it kind of stings a little bit sometimes. It's not always, you know, a good pat on the back. Sometimes it's a kick in the butt. So we're going we're gonna to do the little kick in the butt part uh, this time. But I want to share this message with you titled Fellowship of Suffering. Fellowship of Suffering. And Ron, I'm going to, oh, there you go. You already got it. You already got, got the magic worked out. Awesome. Fellowship of Suffering. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bible, uh, you can go there. This is a really interesting story, um, and it's an interaction between Jesus and Peter. Jesus and Peter. Um, and Jesus basically is, is telling everybody what's going to happen, and, and, and you guys have heard this story before. But it says this, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Everyone say, suffer many things. From the elders and chief, chief priests and, and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can anybody imagine rebuking Jesus? Like, hey, Jesus, come here. I got to correct you on some things, right? So Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. And he says this, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Right? All-knowing Peter in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, right, just prophesied over Jesus and said, that's not going to happen to you. What does Jesus say in verse 23? It says this, but then he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Oh my goodness, what an insult, right? (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Watch this part. This is significant. He says, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're only mindful of the things of men. Here's the idea I want to share with you tonight. And before, you, you know, before we get into it, I know you're hearing this idea of like suffering. and you know, oh, Should Christians suffer? There's a big conversation around this. And, and we're going to really get into this uh, tonight. But what I, I want you to understand this. The idea is this. The fellowship of suffering with Christ is more about what happens in you, not what happens to you. Okay. Now, I want you to do me a favor. Get your phone out. Take a screenshot of that. Write it down. Do something because this is very significant. I don't want you to get confused and, 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 and mix these things up because when we talk about suffering, oftentimes there's a theology, there's an understanding, there's a thought process that leans itself towards saying that the believer should be poor and suffer for Christ. That the believer should be sick and afflicted. The believer should have ailments. The believer should have um, just a low place in society and really struggle through life. And through that struggle, you and I then reflect or associate or fellowship with Christ. But I'm here tonight to kind of shift that perspective because I don't believe that suffering with Christ has as much to do with what happens to you as what happens in you. Because a lot of times, if we're honest, right, we care a lot about what God just doesn't care that much about. 
And I don't mean that to insult you. I don't mean that in, to, to insinuate that God is, is some aloof God and he doesn't care about what you care about. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. God knows the true treasure and true significance of life is not always what we hold in highest regard. Right, so we pray for a full bank account. We pray for a lot of money, that brand new car, that big house, and we want all of these things. And God's like, really, that's what you're praying for? Because he knows this, that no matter what you obtain in life, it won't really satisfy you. That we're so concerned with material things, we're concerned with all of this stuff, right? And God's saying, listen, don't, don't store up treasure here on earth, right? Remember when Jesus said that? Because a thief can come and steal it. The moth will come and eat it. You know, it'll rust, it'll deteriorate. But store up treasure in heaven, Right? These are the things that Jesus is concerned about. And so when it comes to suffering, oftentimes we think about the same things, but just the opposite, right? So when we're praying for a lot of money, we think suffering is like not having a lot of money. Or if we're praying for like a big house, suffering must mean that you have a small house. But, but these things, again, are not that significant to the Lord. And so we have to really look deeper and understand what true suffering with Christ looks like. And I believe this, church, I believe that if, if you and I are to identify with the sufferings of Christ, and I'll show you there's a lot of benefits in, in this, that you will understand that it has a lot more to do with what God is doing inside of you than what's going on around you. Because suffering, in a lot of the times in the perspective that we hold, is all, it's, it's, it only has to do with what's going on around us, right? So we think that we don't have enough money, but did you know this, that if you make more than $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wealthiest people on the planet? Yeah. Right? And so it's all perspective, right? It's all relative because this idea is this, that, that our society, our culture, man, we're not making ends meet with that much money, right? That we're struggling, but man, in terms of the world, we're, we're the richest people in the world. And so we really have to understand that when we talk about suffering, we're not just talking about money, we're not just talking about health or wealth or all of these things, we're talking about what God is doing inside of you. And the struggle in a Christian to really allow God to begin to transform your heart and your life. So if you could do me a favor, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit into this conversation as we get into this tonight. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, your truth. We ask, Holy Spirit, right now that you would bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation into this room. Let us see you. Let us know you. Let us hear from you tonight, God, and let us leave this place changed, not because we heard a good word from, from Pastor Dominic, but because you spoke to us, God, and we heard your voice tonight. We love you and we bless you. Bless our time together. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. So what I want to do tonight is I want to talk to you about three areas, and these aren't exclusive. There's, I'm sure, a lot of different areas, but what I want to talk about is three areas in a believer's life that I would classify as suffering. And you might see these, and you might say, oh, that's not really suffering, but, but here's the idea here is that when we talk about the fellowship of suffering with Christ, what we're talking about is going through difficulty because we know the outcome is good, right? We're going through difficulty because we know the outcome is good. Let me give you like just a couple of silly examples. Me and my brother, Dion, Pastor Dion back there, he's, he's, uh, he was the one good looking guy leading worship up here. Um, he, me and him played golf today and we played terrible. It was awful. Antonio, you'd been so disappointed in us. It was so bad. But here's the key, right? Him and I both are going through some swing changes. Everybody say swing changes. 
So if you don't know anything about golf, good, because I'm going to take all your money on Sunday when we're putting for that grill. I'm going to win. I'm coming out for blood. I'm telling you, I'm not holding back. I'm, I'm going home with that grill. Anyways, um, so when we talk about golf, what, what we're talking about is a very meticulous motion, right? There's so many moving pieces and parts. And if you, if you, if you tamper with or adjust one of those parts, like the whole swing is out of sync, right? And so what I'm working on is I'm working on really getting my hands closed, and, and I won't tell you the details because you won't understand them anyways, but I'm really working on fixing some parts of my swing. So in order to fix one part, guess what happens? Everything else comes undone. <laughs> and then you, you actually, in attempts to fix your swing, you become worse at golf before you get better at golf, right? It doesn't make any sense. But if you track with me as a Christian, what, what we find is that when we're improving as a Christian, when God is trying to build us up, when he's trying to tweak things in our lives and remove things or maybe place some things in, sometimes it doesn't feel too good, right? You're like, man, God, you're supposed to be working in me. I'm supposed to be improving as a person. Why is this so difficult? Why is this hard? Why do I not like this? Well, it's because you have to allow God to have his perfect work in your life. And sometimes it feels like suffering. And in fact, we see in the life of Jesus, Jesus went through many significant moments that were equated to suffering in order to fulfill the plans and purposes that God had for his life. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about three areas um, where Christians, we identify with Christ in our suffering. And I believe that if we can get really good at these three areas, man, we're going to grow significantly as a Christian. So here's the first, here's the first thing that we do. we deferring glory. Deferring glory. As Christians, we have to understand this. None of it belongs to you. You have to defer all the glory. You know, I have three children. You guys know this. I have a six-year-old, Riley a four-year-old Judah, and a one-year-old Jackson, and they're awesome. I love them so much. Um, but all of them are the same, right? You know, at that age, when you have like a one, a four, and a six, they're very different in age groups, you know? Riley's going to school. Jackson's, you know, can barely talk. So, you know, that first six years of life, a lot of things change. But what I've realized as a parent is that one thing stays consistent no matter what age these kids are. And I'm going to go as far as to say even... For you guys too. So from, the, from one years old all the way to however old you are, this one thing seems to stay the same with people is that we love attention. We love feeling important. And it's hilarious because what I'll find with my kids is one kid will do something. You know, Jackson, we were at camp the other day and, and it was raining all day and there was a big puddle and Jackson jumped in the puddle and me and Emily were laughing. We were like, oh, that's so cool, Jackson, you know, clapping for him. And then Judah, our four-year-old, comes over and he says, hey, mom, dad, watch this, right? And he does the same thing and then he looks at us. He's like, are you going to clap for us, for me too? You clapping for me, right? Because no matter what age they are, they want your praise, they want your affirmation, they want your assurance, right? Any parents out there know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, they, and in the the funny thing is this too it's like we're the same way you and I we like to think that we're not but we are because when you get that new hat or you get that new you know those new shoes and you come in you're like hey anybody notice anything different about me today right you're like just somebody comment on my new style right is that you tonight yeah you got your new shoes those are nice too those are pretty awesome right but but we're the same we just want somebody to say oh good job you're so awesome right but, but this idea is this, and, and those are trivial things, but when we talk about more significant things in our life, the truth is this, is that you and I, we can't receive or hold on to any of the glory because none of the glory is ours. None of it belongs to you. None of it belongs to me. All of the glory belongs to Jesus. I want to share this story with you in John chapter 3, 
verses 27 through 30, what we find here is Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people, and John the Baptist and his disciples, well, John the Baptist doesn't, but his, his disciples get kind of jealous of Jesus and his ministry, and he comes to him and he says, listen, everybody's going to Jesus. John, what in the world? Everyone's going to him, and no one's coming to us to get baptized anymore. What's up? And so this is what John says in John, in John chapter 3, verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. Watch this. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. What, John, what John's disciples exposed in this interaction is the same thing that was exposed in Peter's heart in the interaction we read just a few moments ago. When you look at disciples and rabbis in the Jewish culture, the context, right, what would happen oftentimes is if you were a disciple... You would, you would take in all of the teachings of your rabbi, and then once you became of age, normally 30 years old, you would then step into your own ministry, becoming a rabbi yourself, taking all that your rabbi taught you, walking in his ways, and then adding to it, and then teaching those who came after you. And so it was very specific because what your rabbi accomplished was almost your destiny, right? What your rabbi would do, you would walk in the footsteps. And so what, G, what Peter exposed in his own heart wasn't so much that he was concerned for Jesus' safety when he rebuked Jesus. Remember, we read a few minutes ago, no, you're not going to die. What Peter exposed in his own heart was, I don't want to follow in those footsteps. <laughs> he was saying this, Jesus, yeah, I love you and I care for your safety, but you can't suffer because if you suffer, that means I have to suffer. And I don't want to do that. What he exposed in himself could have been just a little bit of self-preservation. And this is exactly what we see here with John's disciples as well. John's disciples are concerned not so much with John, but with themselves. Because they said, man, this is so awesome. This guy came out of the wilderness He's, he's preaching this revolutionary message. All of Israel is coming out to be baptized by him. I'm going to be his disciple, and then one day I can carry on the ministry of John the Baptist, and I, man, I'll move in his power and his anointing. But something happened. People stopped coming to John the Baptist's church. <laughs> and his disciples said, I don't have a future. There's no more glory left for me. There's no more attraction left for me. John, where are all the people going? They're going to Jesus. They're not coming to us anymore. This exposed something in their heart. And, and if we're all honest, we're all born with this, this desire to be recognized, this desire to have the glory. But I'm telling you what, whether you're on a stage doing ministry, whether you're not, whether you're in, in, a mom, a dad, working in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the world marketplace, whatever the case is, you have to understand this. None of the glory belongs to you. None of it does. None of it does. And when you start living your life to earn or attract the glory for yourself, what you'll find is that you are, you, 
It's not fulfilling because it doesn't belong to you. It's not fulfilling because it doesn't belong to you. And the reason that I'm talking about this when we're talking about suffering with Christ is because this is hard. This is difficult. Like, I can't stand up here and lie to you and say it's not hard for me when I preach like a, a baller message and everybody's like, oh man, Pastor John, that message was so good. It's, it's hard for me not to want to hold on to some of that glory. It's hard for me not to say, oh man, thank you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a really smart guy. <laughs> Stop laughing, quit. Hurt my feelings. Or, oh yeah, I'm a really good preacher, right? It's hard for me not to hold on to that stuff. Why? Because, because we like glory, we like people to, to applause us and say, good job. But what we have to understand is that it's not ours. And just like John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he increases. This is a very good sign of whether or not you have a healthy ministry. Are people more attracted to you or more attracted to Jesus? Because John the Baptist's ministry, would anybody in here say his ministry was successful? Wave at me if he had a successful ministry, right? Yeah, John the Baptist was successful. Do you realize from the moment Jesus came on the scene, every single interaction we see with John the Baptist until he's beheaded, his, his like fame and popularity was decreasing? His cameo in the Bible was getting more and more rare as time went on. It wasn't, he wasn't getting more and more glory. No, no, no. He was decreasing more and more until Jesus came on the scene and overshadowed him entirely. Let me tell you something. If people in your life are more impressed by you and not as impressed with Jesus, there's a problem there. There's an issue. It means you're holding on to some of the glory. Let me show you this verse in Philippians. Um, oh, wait. Yeah. Deprive, deprive the flesh from indulging in God's glory. It's, it's just a little statement I wanted you to see. Let me show you this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. It says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So, so this is what Paul's saying. Let this same mind be in you. But did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. This is what Jesus did, and we know this very well. Jesus took off all of his glory, came in the form of a baby, was born in a manger, and humbled himself. Jesus, the Son of God, removed, the, like the only one worthy of the glory, took it off. The only one worthy of the praise, like you and I are good, but we're not even worthy of the hand claps. We're not worthy of the praise. We're not worthy of this stuff. The only one who's actually worthy decided to lay it down and be born in a feeding trough. And Paul says this, let the same mind be in you, be in me. But pastor, we're going to get crowns when we get to heaven. Yeah, you're going to get crowns, and they're going to be nice. They're going to have diamonds and jewels and all these cool things. But do you know what you're going to do with your crown as soon as you get to heaven? You're going to put it at his feet. <laughs> so, so Jesus is going to come and say, Gentry, here's this amazing crown. And you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, this is so beautiful. It makes my eyes pop. It's so beautiful, right? And then the moment you receive that crown, you're going to do this. You're worthy, Jesus. Why? Because none of it belongs to you. No glory belongs to you. And you and I as Christians, what we have to do, and it hurts and it's hard, and you feel, you, you feel overlooked, like, like 
when, you, when you're overlooked by your boss and your people, like you, do all, like you do a great job and no one gives you credit for it, all this stuff hurts and it's suffering and it, it eats at your flesh, but you're just, you just have to lay it down. It is the suffering that we get to enjoy with Christ to say, listen, Jesus, you took the glory off. Who am I to try to keep it? Even if it hurts my flesh, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it to you, Jesus. You took glory off to come to earth, I can have that same mindset and give you all the glory. So that's the first thing as Christians, we get to fellowship in his suffering by deferring the glory to him. Here's the second thing that, that hurts sometimes and some would consider it suffering, but it is submit to his will. Submit to his will. You guys know this uh, story in the Bible, but Jesus prays a very significant prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he He's crucified in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. He says, it says, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Again, to share in the fellowship of suffering with Christ is to say this, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Submitting to his will is aligning your life to obey his word. How do you submit to his will? You align your life to obey his word. Like many of you might have seen this, many of you might not have, but my mom, Pastor Mary, she's been going through the book of Revelation. She was here, I think, last week, right? Last week? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and she, she preached this message, and she's been, like, just learning so much. And, and what she's been learning in the revelation she's been receiving has led her to feel convicted about some of the clothing options she's chosen to, to buy. And so a couple weeks ago, she burned her Nikes and her Adidas. Anybody see that on Facebook? Crazy. No, she's awesome. I love her. But she, she had this big fire and she burned her shoes, right? And don't ask me why. I don't know why. She'll tell you why. I don't think that we should have a big burning party here tonight. Again, this is her, con- this is her convictions, right? So everybody keep your shoes on. I won't be smelling your nasty feet. Keep your shoes on. Um, so these are some of her convictions, right? But, but what I want you to see is this, is that her idea of following and, and, and suffering for the Lord has led her to say this, I'm going to adjust my lifestyle to line up according to your word. And, and this, is, this is where a lot of Christians get stuck because, because what we have developed in kind of the modern era is this, this message of, and I want to be really careful here, this message of grace and, and like turning a blind eye to things and saying like, okay, oh yeah, yeah, you don't have to worry about that. Just Jesus loves you. Don't, don't let me see you do that. Jesus loves you. And it's like, well, hold on, hold on. Jesus loves you, but there's this reality as a follower of Jesus is that you have to pick up your cross every day. Like, like Jesus loves you. Yeah, that doesn't change. His mercies are new every morning. Like this isn't meant to, to, to bring any condemnation or shame to anybody. But the fact is this, is that, is that if you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the one who said that he'll never leave you, the one he said who loves you, who, who died for your sins, he's the same one that asked you to pick up your cross and to follow him, and to lay down your life. And we share in his suffering by saying this, God, it's not what I want, it's what you want. Even if what I want is very important to me. It's not what I want. It's not about me. It's not about the things that I love. It's about you. And if you, your word says not to do this, and I'm doing this, I have to adjust my life to match your word. 
If your word says to do this and I'm not doing it, I have to adjust my life to match your word. This is one of the biggest problems in the culture today. This is, again, when we look at, and I'm not going to spend too much time here, but when we look at like this whole idea of the, 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 the trans movement and the LGBT movement and all of this stuff where people are saying, oh yeah, I was born this way. Like this is the way I was created. I'm going to live this lifestyle. The truth is this, is that all of us were born this way. We were all born into sin. And the idea is we've preached a message that say you don't have to change. And so now there's a whole group of people who call themselves Christians, but who are refusing to be changed by the gospel. But, but you can't separate the two. Like Christianity is suffering with Christ, and I know it hurts their feelings, and I know it hurts your feelings to have God come in and to change your life, but the truth is this. Jesus died on the cross to, and suffered for your sins when he didn't want to, and he told God, I'm going to do it because you want me to. You can do stuff. You can suffer for him. You can go through things. You can allow him to change your life. You can, you can allow him to remove things and put things in. Why? Because Jesus did it. And because he did it, we fellowship in that suffering with him. And we say, Jesus, you submitted to the will of God. Even when you didn't want to, you did it, Jesus. I'm going to submit to your word. Even when I don't want to. Even when it goes against everything that's natural to me, God, I know that your word takes the priority. Watch this in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. This is the mistake that many of us make. It says this, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What is the lie? The lie is this, that you worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What is the lie? I love how Paul didn't say a lie. It's not just some random lie. It's the lie. The lie. Like, like I've, I've, I've come to grips that there's only one sin, and the one sin is pride. And it's very, like, again, I don't want to get too far into it, but it's, it's very revealing that, that this is Pride Month, right? That, that the LGBT community have, have labeled this Pride Month. And it's, it's very revealing because what you have to understand about this whole, this whole thing that's, that's taking the culture by storm is that this is not about sexual orientation. This isn't about, this isn't about transgenderism. This isn't about any, any of that. This is about pride. This is about straight defiance in the face of God saying, you created me this way, but I'm defying you. I'm changing myself. You did this, I'm changing. I'm defying you, God. This is all about pride, and it boils down to this idea that people have fallen in love with worshiping the creature rather than the creator. That we worship the creature, meaning you and me, we are the creatures and we worship the creature rather than the creator. That is, that is the fallacy that exists when people say that you can be a gay Christian. You can't be a gay Christian. You can't be an anything Christian. Because to be a Christian means that you worship the creator, not yourself. You can't be a democratic Christian. You can't be a Republican Christian. You can't be a white Christian, a black Christian. You can't have these identifiers before Christian. It doesn't make sense. What you are saying is nothing that I have belongs to me. It's all his. It's all about Jesus. He is the creator. So putting anything in front of him is putting the creature in front of the creator. So, so you, you don't have any of that. 
It's all gone. You have to allow God to be God and allow him to change your heart. And again, I love putting this in the category of suffering because this is suffering. The Bible says that Jesus suffered to almost the point of death praying this prayer. He's bleeding or sweating blood that his soul was agonized. Jesus says, I'm, I'm in agony even to the point of death, toiling with this idea of submitting to the will of God. This is suffering, church. I, I don't want to stand up here and lie to you and say it's easy to submit to the will of the Lord. It is not easy to submit to the will of the Lord. When God speaks to your heart and he says, listen, I want you to stop harboring bitterness against that person, that is a difficult thing to do. That doesn't just happen overnight, but that happens with this, this positioning your life to say, I am going to forgive. No matter how hard it hurts, no matter how bad it hurts me, I'm going to forgive. That is suffering. That's difficult to do as a person. Man, when God says, hey, I want you to put that thing down and you really don't want to and you're just like, God, I don't want to. You might even be like borderline addicted to that thing. It's hard to get over that. It's hard to be obedient to the will of the Father, but, but just because something's hard doesn't give you an excuse not to do it. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean you can be disobedient. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I wanted to preach this message because I wanted you to see the suffering that Jesus endured. He went through difficulty. And if he did, why do we expect everything to be easy as Christians? It's not there's suffering involved. And remember, this suffering isn't like, oh, God wants you to be sick. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is the suffering is God wants you to, be, well, God wants you to forgive. <laughs> God wants you to shut your mouth and say sorry. God wants you to put that thing down. That is the suffering that we can identify with Christ. Here's the last one. I'll give it to you. It's faithfulness in persecution. Faithfulness in persecution persecution. In John chapter 15, verse 18 through 19. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. This is a big one. Jesus says this, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, again, I want to be very careful in this perspective because I believe truly, and I'm thankful for this, but at the same time, I believe that we don't have a great perspective of what it means to be persecuted as Christians. There are Christians all around the world that are losing hands, losing limbs, losing their head, losing lives. Like, they're being persecuted, right? We're not at the point of that persecution yet. But the reality is, is that our lives as Christians over the last 20 years has changed dramatically, and I'm not, like, hear this, I'm not saying that that stuff's coming, but what I am saying, it's becoming less and less popular to be a Christian. And you and I are beginning to face real opposition by a very bold enemy. And what we have seen, what I've seen, what I'm sure you have seen, is you have seen many people who once stood firm in the faith cave to this opposition, we see many pastors, leaders, celebrities, all of these different individuals begin to cave to the pressure of society because they don't want to be persecuted. And what we realize about persecution is the pressure from the world will expose where your true treasure lies. And this is, this is what I want us to understand as Christians. When the world puts pressure on you, 
it will begin to expose where your treasure lies. If you look at the, look at the, the we won't go there, but the story of Saul, right? Saul and Samuel. Saul, Saul disobeys the Lord. He doesn't kill the people and the sheep and the goats. And, and, and you know, God's, God's mad at him. He removes the kingdom from him. Samuel comes in and says, like, look, dude, you messed up. You messed up. And, and Saul says, I'm so sorry. And Samuel says, it's too late. And then Saul says this, well, well, will you at least pretend like I'm okay? Come with me and just pretend like the Lord's with me because I don't want the people to know that the Lord has forsaken me. And when the pressure was applied to Saul, what he, what he realized is that the people were more significant in his life than the Lord. And it was the cause of his downfall. And this is what we're finding out as Christians is that when the world applies pressure, oh, this is an antiquated belief. Don't, we don't believe that anymore. Oh, you, that's just religious. We just, just throw that ideology out the window. That's not what God said. Oh, well, hold on. Because last time I checked, the Bible hasn't been rewritten in the last 20 years. The word of God is the word of God. And it doesn't matter if it's here in 2023 or 1800s. It is the same word of God that has always been true, that will be true, and will always be true. Right? And so this idea that we can adjust our religion, adjust the word of God to fit today's demands is not true. And there's a lot of people that have succumbed to the pressure of the world because of persecution. My encouragement to you today is this, that they will hate you. They will name call you. They will say terrible things and smear your reputation. They will do, the world will do evil things against you because remember, the world is evil. And Jesus told us that the world hated him, the world will hate us. And so what I want us to understand is this, is that we don't find our joy, we don't find our peace, our satisfaction with where people like us and appreciate us and agree with us. No, no, no. We have to remain faithful to him. We have to remain faithful to the Lord. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. I just, this is a nice reminder I want you to know. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What I want us to understand is that your treasure cannot lie in the opinions of men. Your treasure has to lie in the place that God has prepared for you. Your treasure has to lie in pleasing the Father. Because here's the reality. This, Cleveland, Ohio, this is not your home. This is not, like the, the, your friends, your neighbors, the people you work with, this is not your home. And it's a little bit scary, a little bit intimidating to think about this, if we're being honest, like the concept of, of heaven is just mind-boggling, but the truth is this, is that you're spending about 80 to 90 very, very short years here on earth in preparation for eternity in heaven. And man, if Jesus came to this earth and suffered all that he suffered Man, I can stand strong in my faith, unwavering, unashamed of the Lord, knowing that this isn't my final home. Knowing that one day, Jesus is either going to take me up in the sky, or I'm going to be here one moment and gone the next moment, or however it works, I know this is that he's taking me to my forever home, and it's going to be with him. It's not going to be with all those haters, it's not going to be with all those people, right? It's going to be with him. And him and him alone is what my heart desires to please and to honor. 
And so what, I, what you and I have to understand is this, is that when the world puts its pressure on us, we can't bend. We can't break. We can't bow. We have to stand strong in our faith. Like this idea, this gets me, right? We see Peter approaching, following Jesus, and this girl questions him and says, aren't you with Jesus, this little girl? The Bible says she was a little girl, and no offense to any little girls, but, but they're not that scary. And so, you know, Peter says, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not with Jesus, right? He's so intimidated, so scared, he denies Jesus. And that happens two more times. So he denies Jesus three times, right? The world put pressure on Peter, and he snapped like a twig. And then, you know, a few chapters later in the book of Acts, again, same thing happens. Stop preaching Jesus, Stop preaching Jesus. I'm going to beat you if you don't stop preaching Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 that they beat Peter and the apostles. And Peter's response wasn't to deny, wasn't to run away, but his response was this. If it's better to listen to God or man, you decide. But we're going to listen to God. And then, guess what the apostles did? The Bible says that they rejoiced because they were seen worthy to suffer for Christ. See, when persecution comes your way, church, it's going to hurt. You're going to have, man, Jesus says this. He says that I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And there's going to be division, not just between, like, acquaintances. There's going to be division from family members, mother-in-law against, against daughter-in-law. There's going to be division against those that, clo- that you're closest to. And it will happen, and it's already happening. That there are people that, that you thought could never hurt you, would never turn on you, are hurting you. It's going to happen. You have to stay true to him. You have to stay true to him. So this is what I want us to do. As we conclude tonight, I want us to remember this. The fellowship of suffering with Christ is more about what happens in you, not what happens to you. As a Christian, you are called to be blessed. God's got the best for you. Now, I know this message is a little rough, but I don't want you to, to misinterpret me. God has the best for you. Right, Your best days are ahead of you. They're not behind you. He's going to bless you. He's going to do all of those amazing things. But, but your calling as a Christian is also to, is to experience the resurrection power of Jesus, but also to share in his fellowship of suffering as well. And if, and if Jesus came to this earth, took off glory, was born in a manger, died on a cross while men that he created spat in his face, you and I can endure some mean comments. <laughs> Like, I've never, not once in my life, and it might happen, it might not, I don't know, but I've never gotten to the point of suffering to where Jesus got to that point. You know, we never got to the same point. I've never suffered what Jesus suffered. Never went through what he went through. And even even if I share a minuscule amount of that, I want to have the perspective of this. Jesus, thank you for letting me share in your suffering. No, it didn't feel good. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, like, I'm not like delusional and saying, like, yay, life is hard, woohoo. Like, I, I'm not doing that. But what I am doing is this, man. Jesus, you gave everything for me. And I, I, get, to just, I get to just share in a little bit of that pain, and it's weird, but I find that I know him more. Like, I I know him in the difficulty now. Because when Jesus was in that garden, sweating blood, and his soul was agonizing, and he was going through all that he was going through, 
And, and in my own small way, I get on my knees in my living room and I say, God, I can't, I can't beat this. But even when I'm struggling with this, God, I, your will be done, not my will. Like I share in that moment with Christ, even, even if my moment's not as dramatic, right? Even if my moment is about like social media and his, he's about to die on the cross and it's like, oh my goodness, this is not apples to apples here. But even if I get to share in that suffering, it's like, God, I know you just a little bit more. I can, my soul can sense a little bit more what you were going through on that day. Because that's the ultimate goal, right? Is to know him. It's to know him. I want to know all of him. Every, every part of it. So stand with me today as we close. My goal tonight was to help frame some perspective for you. Next time, next time you do something really good or next time you pray that prayer or you preach that message or sing that song or you do a great job at work or whatever the case is and you're looking around for that hand clap and that pat on the back and just to create some framework around your life to remind you that that glory is not yours. And I heard a teacher one time tell me, tell me this because it, it, this helps so much. He said, listen, you, you, you can't keep the glory, but you can hold it. And, and the idea is this, is that people are going to come to you and say, hey, you did a great job or hey, that message was awesome. Or hey, you know, Miranda sang a beautiful song tonight. That was amazing, right? People are gonna say these kind things to you. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to say, no, 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 don't say that to me. You're right, like we're not being weird here. But the idea is this, is that when you receive that glory, it's to say, thank you so much. Here you go, Jesus. This is yours, right? It's like you, you can hold it for a bit, but, but you go home and you give that right to him. And you say, God, I, I, don't let this go to my head. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have breath in my lungs to sing that song. Right? If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have the mental capacity to, to make that happen at work. I know that, my, that that wasn't my idea. That was your idea, God. Thank you so much, right? And this idea that we constantly take these crowns that people put on our head and we lay them down in his feet. And we say, the glory's yours, God. It's all yours, God. It's not about me. It's not about how smart I am or cool I am. It's all about your flesh is going to want to hold on to that every time. Lay it down. Also, to submit to his will. I, I've, I've had many conversations with people who are struggling to submit to his will, and they think that their Christianity is broken because they can't get it. It's like they're trying to submit to the will of the Lord, but they, they mess up every single time, or they fail, they fall short. And it's like, man, they, they a lot of people think, some of the people that I've talked to is like, is something wrong with me? Like, no, man, this thing's hard. <laughs> it's difficult. It's hard to put that flesh away because it comes back every single day. It comes back as long as you're breathing, your flesh is alive, okay? It's going to be hard every single time. And this is why I wanted you to know that this is the suffering that you and I endure. Got to go back and lay that thing down again. Again? I laid that, I've been laying this down for 20 years every single day. Yep, make it 21 years. Keep going. Keep laying it down. You never reach a point to where you're like, oh, I did it. I defeated the flesh. You're not going to reach that point here. You're going to reach it up there, but not here. Every single day, you got to say, not my will, but your will, God. And then finally, when persecution comes, don't waver because you're not impressing the people. You're not trying to, you're not trying to like, they're not your prize. They're not your treasure. It's 
him. It's him. So Holy Spirit, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. God, we want to know you. Just like Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of the suffering. Jesus. Let us know you, Jesus. And as we embrace this idea of suffering for Christ, God, we just thank you, just like your disciples did in the book of Acts. We thank you, Jesus, that we can even identify you with you in these areas. We find joy and rejoicing in these difficult moments, knowing that you, our leader, our king, our Lord, endured the same thing. We can endure it with joy, God, knowing that you made it, Jesus, and we'll make it, knowing that there's hope on the other side because you didn't stay in the grave, but you rose on the third day, confirming that all what you did was worth it. Everything you did, was worth it. You won, Jesus. It's over. And so as we walk through this life and we endure these difficult moments, God, I pray right now that just just as the Holy Spirit strengthened you, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us, comfort us, help us to continue to fight, even when we're weary, even when we're exhausted, even when we feel like we have no strength. Holy Spirit, would you help us to keep pushing, keep going on, We love you, Jesus, and we bless your name tonight. In your name I pray. Everybody said, amen. I'm going to invite some of our pastors and leaders up here, and if you're here tonight and and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never given your heart to him, or maybe you've never um, really given your life to actually knowing him. Maybe you've prayed a prayer before, but but if if you've just done that, what I want to encourage you to do is take steps to actually knowing the Lord. The first step is knowing him through his word. So I want to invite you to get into that as well. If you're here tonight and, man, maybe you say, I've been struggling. I've been going through it. The good thing about the fellowship of suffering is it's a fellowship. It's not a solo journey. That we can do this together. That we can live this life with one another. We can encourage one another, pray for one another. And we want to do that. If you're here and you say, man, I just need some encouragement. I've been fighting. I've been dealing with this. I I need some help. We want to pray with you and love on you. Amen. So remember to live right, love everyone, pray hard. We'll see you all on Sunday. Fathers, bring your putters. We got a little putting competition Sunday. Love you all very much. Live right, love everyone, pray hard. We'll see you next time.